What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined once again by Coach Andrea. Andrea, as always, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me back. <laughs> of course. Um, so tell us what has been going on with your training and your nutrition lately. Uh, well, I'm in a deload right now. Um, I think I was just, yeah, I was just getting started on um, a new mesocycle last time we talked. And that was five days a week, pretty high volume. I was extremely sore. And um, then I've I've been in that since we talked last. And then this week, just to kind of bring stress down a little bit, um, I'm in a deload, which is just three days per week upper lower full body and uh nutrition hasn't really changed that's just been a consistent um kind of maintenance for a while now okay. so you're still hanging out at around maintenance yep okay okay you guys have plans to like dig into the building anytime soon or kind of- well okay well i call it maintenance but my weight's been trending up <laughs> so i guess it's not ma- it's not technically maintenance it feels like it should yeah i've been gaining yes um so i like i'm really i didn't think that my weight would get up as high as it has been since the end of the diet but my pictures like i'm I'm liking the improvement in my pictures month to month. So it's really exciting. And then um, somewhere around, let's see, May or June, we'll actually go through another little cut. So it will have been since October. Um, it And then maybe, gosh, I'm trying to think of how long it took me to actually work my calories up to like a decent spot, but maybe November, uh, end of November, early December, um, I was started to like really get my calories to a point where I was feeling really good and pretty much recovered from the last diet. So that would have been December, January, February, March. So like six months. So pretty That's decent. I know it doesn't feel like it or, or well, it will have been six months. Still though. It's like, you guys are kind of mad. I feel like you just did your photo shoot like a month ago. That's, that's wild for me. Yeah, I know. I was like, kind. Of, I was, whenever I asked her about like the, what the periodization was going to look like over the next few months, it was almost like, I don't know if I'm like ready to diet anytime soon, like physiologically, if she was going to just like, let me do that. But then I started counting back at how long it had been. And I was like, Oh wow. Okay. Well, it actually has been long enough, probably good to go. Um, why, why cutting? Well, just because I, my long-term goal is just to kind of, um, maintain throughout most of the year and then do a short cut, like leading into summer, just to feel a little bit more confident and lean. And, um, like the hope would be year over year, be about the same weight, but improve on my look. Kind of like the Brian Borstein approach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, did you listen to the Lean Gains Blueprint podcast, the, that series of Brian that you did? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. It was good. Those were so good. I yeah. I those episodes so much. I like that. That was like one of the first times. I hate listening to myself. Um, <laughs> also, apologies to any listeners that listened to the first one because I had my mic on the wrong setting. Aaron Straker was here for like recording and one in person. I had like went back and the first one was like, wow. That, I know our audio isn't always the best regardless, but <laughs> wow, that is terrible. <laughs> so apologies to anybody listening to that one. Um, but anyways, those were so, 
I, I love those episodes. Anybody that hasn't listened, I would definitely go back and check those out. I feel like my approach to building has shifted yeah. so much just over the last couple of years. We're like t- talking through that. Like I was very much with like, hey, we need to be aggressive, especially as we get more advanced. And it's been interesting to learn like, actually it's like the complete opposite. We should probably be more conservative because we have less possible tissue to gain. Uh, so I'm, I'm stoked on the like the building thing right now also. But anyways, okay, cool. So it sounds like as a whole things are going well. Yeah. Um, I've been digging into some fat loss here for the last, well, we are almost four weeks in actually, which is surprising. It's been pretty easy deficit so far. Well, we've been in hypertrophy so far through this. And I think we're going to transition to narrow or metabolic after this. I'm really hoping narrow because I honestly really hate metabolic. <laughs> um, and I don't think we would go like local metabolic in a fat loss phase. But what I've dropped, like, I guess I'm down like four to five pounds on average, which is, I haven't really like had any hunger at all. Oh, yeah, I've that's been good. Very, very conservative because we only, we only dropped. He did bump protein slightly. Basically, we went from like 210 protein to 230 protein. But as a whole, we only dropped 240 calories, I think, from where I was previously. So it's been Dang. Like very, I know, I was like, are you, <laughs> that's, pre- that's pretty mild, but I mean, slowly but surely, you know how it is, like, it does still, even for me, it does still seem like the scale is moving so slowly. So for me, it's always helpful, just like all our clients, to like go back and look at like, like really, I'm still at 207. It's always so helpful to go back and like, okay, last week I was consistently like 208 to 209. This week I'm consistently 207 to 208. So just like with our clients, that it is always so helpful. But yeah, I'm excited to see where we end up because I think he, I think what the goal is to get down to about 195, which I haven't been for a very long time. So hopefully I'm more jacked by that time. With it's funny, I can definitely tell that like, at least from my perspective, like. We do so much glute work, so much belt work, like so much more than we have in the past. So I know for sure, like at least posterior, like my butt has definitely grown. <laughs> so I'm hoping that from last time I was like 195, which again would have been 2019 to now, like it's gonna look quite a bit different. Yeah, uh, you're I'm gonna have the bit the bikini physique uh, with the glutes and delts. <laughs> basically, it's, seriously though, uh, but. Anyways, cool. Let's get into these questions. Sound good? Yep. Cool. All right. So let's kick these off with our questions from the Facebook group. Um, all right. So first one we had, I know recovery is essential, but how do you know if you recovered well? And if you are, then how do you know you benefit from increased volume or not? What do you have for us? So how do you know you're recovering well? is the first part of this question. Um, A big part of this is just looking at biofeedback um, and then also with soreness um, included in that. So uh, has sleep changed? Has digestion changed? Um, Are you still feeling sore or just like not ready to go into the next training session? Um, how are your pumps? So are you still getting a pump in the gym or has that gone away? So that, those are the things that we'll look at. And then, um, with, with, this is Sarah, one of my clients. So I know that her volume is set at a place where, um, it's not too low. Uh, we probably have like a small, uh, 
amount where we could still bump things up with some muscle groups, but with knowing that that is within a good range, um, I can, I think I'm getting ahead of myself here, but how, how do you know you're recovering? Well, that's what we will check on that. And then how do you know if you would benefit from increased volume? Um, that's what I was saying is since we know that she's already within a good range, definitely what I would check out first is quality versus just adding quantity. So we're already looking at her uh, videos, but even within like really good execution, there's usually room for improvement um, with either cycling into different training stimulus or um, just improving that neurological connection within that same uh, movement. So let's say that she's doing a leg press with a, with a uh, quad focus and she's feeling her quads in that movement, but not really getting like a, a very good pump in the quads or um, not really feeling much like fatigue afterwards in the quads, but she's feeling a little bit in the glutes. Well, that's going to take a little bit more refinement and just doing that and refining that one single movement, she can get a better stimulus with that without even changing the amount of volume. Go ahead. Does that make, does that make sense? Is that how you would explain that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that was very well put where basically it sounds like you're saying before we add more, we really don't refine the movements that you're always already doing, the amount of volume or the number of parts that you're already doing and making sure we're squeezing as much as possible out of that before we just like start stacking more sets or more movements. Yeah. One of the biggest things I see with um, like an opportunity for improvement with the same amount of volume is momentum. So like say on that leg press example, a lot of people like to sink all the way down into the bottom of it and kind of rock it up out of the bottom. So um, one of the things that I've been talking about with a few of my clients is like getting down into the bottom a little bit more slowly. And then you don't necessarily have to pause, but just making sure that you're keeping tension and not having that little bit of a tension shift from the stim- from the target muscle to just the joints and using that um, stretch reflex to get back up. And you can take that same um, principle and apply that to a dumbbell chest press or a um, like an RDL, a really anything you can kind of, take out that little bit of a bounce and keep the tension on the target muscle throughout the entire thing. And that's going to be a huge shift in probably how much weight you can use and the quality of your movement and the quality of the stimulus to the target tissue too. Absolutely. And I think like when it comes to volume, like there is a certain threshold where we need enough, but almost always it makes sense to really continue to focus on nailing the quality before we focus on adding more quality. Yeah. Right. Like for like effect per like the amount of stimulus we're getting per set, we're just gonna get so much more out of like a quality set versus like if we're adding like going from like four sets to six sets or like adding another movement for the same muscle tissue, we're doing like four more sets there. The quality isn't there, I and mean, a lot of that's just gonna equate to junk quality. Yeah. Right? So we need to be we need to be smart with it, adding that. Yeah, you're gonna add a lot of like systemic fatigue without actually getting uh, like the same not the same, but like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Disproportionate amount of added stimulus versus fatigue. Right. Right. And that's why a lot of times people can do more, but it won't necessarily equate to better results. And a lot of times it will actually come out to worse results. Mm -hmm. Um, I like where your head is at. I had a lot of the same points. Like 
we should typically, what I would say here is we should typically be like, soreness isn't the end all be all. To know if we're recovering well, soreness isn't the end all be all. But I would say we should typically in most muscle groups be a little bit sore for one to two days after our training. Now, if that's going on for longer than two days, we're probably we've done a little bit too much. And that's the thing to understand here is like when we're talking about recovery, recovery and volume are very much related, right? Where like if we're too sore, hey, that might be a sign that we actually need to pull volume back a bit. Um, I would say alongside that, you're feeling mentally motivated to go to the gym. Digestion is a good one that you touched on that I think people overlook. So like if you're having more loose stool, that can also be a sign that like, hey, recovery isn't quite as good. Um, decent pump and disruption through most movements. Again, if we're starting to see more sleep disturbances, like that is a sign that again, that allostatic load or that overall stress load on your body is getting to be a little bit too much and maybe we need to pull back. Um, and if we're progressing the long book well, we're probably recovering well. I think so basically, I think I just reiterated what you're saying. Um, as far as like to add a couple things to like if you should do more, I would say one, you rarely ever feel like you're incurring any type of pump or if you're rarely ever and like the amount of pump you'll get and really the amount of soreness you'll get or like disruption you'll get will also depend on what phase we're in right where like yeah. if we're in a metabolic phase for example like a local metabolic phase you might get crazy pumps but there's actually going to we're mostly focusing on short overload movements so there's not going to probably be that much soreness right so again like it does depend um, but if it rarely, if you like leave the gym feeling like, Hey, I don't really feel like I did anything. Um, and also like the important caveats here is also like a lot of times that's just, Hey, your execution isn't because I will say for most people, if you're doing like three to four sets of a movement and you're leaving the gym feeling like you're still not feeling like you did something like it's probably a matter of execution or, um, not having enough intensity rather than you didn't necessarily add more. Yeah. And that's the thing with this is like, it's so, from my experience, I feel like it's so rare that people actually need to do more. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. So I'm going to throw my sister under the bus here. I gave her, (laughs) (laughs) I gave her um, like a, a training plan and she'll, I just like give it to her and say like, go on your way. Cause she's been working out for a long time and she'll get back to me and say, uh, this was a really great workout. I added a finisher at the end and I'm like, no, <laughs> you didn't do enough like during the training session. If you can do a finisher. So that's what people will go to. I think is like not actually working hard enough within the set or, you know, like eat, whether that be with weight or just like, focusing on how the the execution of the movement should be done and then just add more and more at the end so that they feel sweaty and tired and sore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I would say for most people, you're training like four days a week. You're doing six to seven movements per session with three to four hard sets per exercise. It's very, very rare that people actually need more than that and progress. Like you follow Jeff Albers, like the three D of Jake Godfather. Yeah, I think so. He's like, he's in his fifties. He's so yeah. jacked. He's been training for like thirty years. He just followed, has been following an upper lower split for like, it's just it's it's interesting for sure. Um, but anyways, I'm kind of getting detracted here. <laughs> I would say again, like if you, if you're truly like you have the intensity, you have the technique down, and you're leaving the gym feeling like you still like there, you don't feel like basically you struck the target tissue. Your sleep is good. You're consistently motivated to train, but you're not progressing the logbook we're not like making very much progress. That is probably a sign 
where it's time to add more. The final, and I we've gone on this for a very long time, but like the last thing I would say there is, I think a lot of times the trap people fall into is I'm making great progress right now. I want to do more. Right? Yeah. We're almost always it's like we're in this sweet spot where you are making great progress, but almost always like us adding more isn't the answer, right? Like we need to ride this out where it's very rare that adding more is actually more beneficial. Typically it's like, hey, we're just incurring more systemic fatigue without this necessarily being more effective volume. And again, to like take it back to that, like even when um, on the roundtable podcast I did with Brandon and Jeff, where we were discussing this idea of junk volume, like for a lot of people, like once we get past about six to eight hard sets per muscle group per training session, we're starting to get in the realm over 10 to 20. And again, these are very much generalizations, but or like when we're getting to about 10 to 20 like hard sets per week, like past that range, it's not more effective volume, right? It's just more fatigue. So I, again, like, I don't know. I'm just beating a dead horse by this point. <laughs> any other thoughts or questions on that? No. Cool. Cool. Uh, all right, next question you had was, is there a benefit to balancing all three macros in each meal? Like if you eat five meals a day, but you eat all the approaches in the first four, is having just a carb fat meal detrimental? All right, so basically there's quite a bit to dig into here, but when it comes to protein, so basically we need to understand like our goal with ingesting protein and when it comes to like physique development, First, like protein is gonna be very satiated. So getting in these simple bowls of protein at most of your meals when you're in a diet is helpful from just an adherence perspective. But when it comes to building muscle tissue or maintaining muscle tissue, basically this process of muscle protein synthesis is the process of your body repairing and adding to your current muscle protein. So basically after you consume protein, levels of muscle protein synthesis spike for the next couple hours before returning to a baseline, right? Now, the size of that spike somewhat depends on how much protein you take in. So basically, what the studies seem to show is that for most individuals, we get 20 grams of protein, and that also is like a high quality protein that contains plenty of leucine. Like the leucine threshold is, what is it, 2.4 yeah. to 2.5 grams? Yeah. Or, but basically, we need plenty of this amino acid leucine, which is typically going to be like we could supplement it. So like. If you were like eating mostly plant-based proteins, you could also supplement with the amino acid leucine. A lot of plant-based proteins now like actually well, you have a, like some leucine mixed in. Or there'll be like a quality mix. But basically, if we get about 20 grams of this like uh, high quality protein, which is mostly gonna be like an animal-based protein, that is almost gonna optimally stimulate muscle protein synthesis. If we bump it up a little bit higher to about 40 grams, then we'll see like a 10 to 20% further increase in rate of muscle protein synthesis, right? So within this thing you understand is like we have these two opposing forces. We have muscle protein synthesis, which is basically your body, basically your body taking in dietary protein, breaking it down to amino acids, um, building your muscles, right? On the other end, we have muscle protein breakdown, which is basically the process of your body breaking down um, muscle protein, right? So to build muscle tissue over time, we want the rate of muscle protein synthesis to be greater than the rate of muscle protein breakdown, right? So the thing to understand here is, so for example, let's say that we just have like, so to an extent, some, like spreading your protein across the day is going to be important for this. Because for example, like if we just have one, so let's say like your protein goal is 120 grams, and let's say you just have one meal that has 100 grams of protein, 
and the rest, like the, you have five grams of protein in your other, what, that would be four meals throughout the day. Basically, we're only really stimulating muscle protein synthesis once. So through the rest of that time, it is a lot less likely that we will be building muscle and rate of muscle protein breakdown may increase, right? So it's less, like from a muscle building perspective, that's going to be less optimal than if we do split our protein relatively evenly, right? Now, when it comes to like how many meals per day, and the other, actually another thing I wanted to cover, I feel like I wrote so many blogs about this topic, <laughs> such a fun one for me, but like, um, so I know there was a study in 2011 where they had eight men consume 25 grams of protein. So one gram, one group did just 25 grams as a shake, and the other group consumed 10 two and a half gram protein shakes over the course of three hours. Now, that group that consumed the entire shake at once saw a 95% increase in muscle protein synthesis, whereas the other group only saw a 42% increase in muscle protein synthesis across those three hours, despite having the same amount of protein across those three hours, right? So, basically what this shows us is there is probably a good amount of benefit to like every couple hours we have Again, like every three to four hours, we have a meal that has, again, somewhere between 20 to 40 grams of protein. Now, from there, again, just to maximize like, across the course of the day, the amount of muscle protein synthesis that we're stimulating, again, it would be a good idea, I would say, like in the most optimal world, for us to have at least four meals spread out by about three to four hours, we're having at least 20 to 40 grams of protein. Now, past that, if we're getting into like five to six meals, the reality is like we're spacing those down to like to eat six meals, we're gonna have to like cut that time frame so short that I wouldn't say there would be like an additional benefit to like spacing that out further. So I would say like in her case, if it's like, hey, I have four meals and maybe like between one of these meals, it's only been an hour and a half and I have a snack and then I have another meal. Like there's not gonna be any benefit to like that snack like also having protein, but I would make sure, basically make sure when we have like those four meals with 20, 40 grams of protein with about two to four hours, or three to four hours in between. Um, now when it comes to mixed meals, so we know that carbs will slow, like so if we're having protein and carbs together, that will slow the digestion of protein, but it actually isn't going to negatively impact your body's ability to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. So like it's okay to also do this as a mixed meal, at least like from what we know so far. This is actually an interesting topic. And same thing goes for fat, where it will decrease um, our digestion, the rate of digestion of protein, but again, it doesn't seem like it actually has a negative impact, at least from what I've seen, as far as like, hey, because we're digesting this lower, this negatively impacts muscle protein synthesis. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, physiologically, like, honestly, that doesn't make sense, but what you're saying makes sense. You know what I mean? Because like fat slows down the the spike of glucose, but it doesn't slow down the spike of amino acids. So you would think it would be both, but that's really interesting. I never really thought through it that way. Wait, break that down? When you have the mixed meal and you include fat, mm -hmm. you're right. It doesn't seem to slow the digestion of that protein. So you still get the spike and like the rise and the fall of amino acid in the bloodstream, but you your carbohydrate intake, like your spike of glucose, seems to be more leveled out by the inclusion of fat. Just interesting. Oh, okay. <laughs> but um, with hers, with hers, I know that, so she's having five meals per day. She gets about 160 grams of protein in a day. So if her last meal was at least like three hours 
after that final protein meal, she could get a small amount more benefit by separating out some of her protein to leave in that last meal. Because with four meals, that's 40 grams of protein. So let me see what 160 divided by five is, 32. So she could still be at that leucine threshold per meal with five meals versus four. But either way, it's not, it's kind of splitting hairs at that point because four meals with protein is still a good amount. Yeah. And I mean, there, what I would say, that like depends on how much she's splitting up her meals, right? Where if it's like she's eating every three hours and she's up for like, yeah, I mean, I guess if she, that, that's pretty feasible. Like, if you like across 16 hours, she has five meals, mm-hmm. right? Then I would say, like, I think for most people, we don't need to, like, pay any five or six meals. I don't think we need to, like, open to get too much past, like, yeah. four meals. It's, like, good, that kind of minimum threshold. But, yeah, I would say, like, in that final meal, if it's, like, it has been a couple hours since, it, it would be a good idea to include a little bit more protein as well. Yeah, and then as far as carbs and fats, the only other thought um, there that I had is if you wanted to, like, super optimize every little detail was um, to move a little bit more of the carbohydrates peri-workout and um, maybe even include some of those intra-workout because she is in a build, so she could include some of those during the workout. But the reason that we haven't addressed that is because I know that this is more of an enjoyability issue with her diet, and that's more important in the grand scheme. So she likes volume meals, so having that higher protein in four meals is probably going to be a bit better than spacing it out in five. Um, And then she also has that carbon fat meal at night as like a snack (laughs) as like a treat at the end of the day. So it's not um, like that big of a deal to try and optimize every little thing so that it takes away from the enjoyment of the diet. Yeah. And that's very much like what I'm with, like going from like four, four protein dense meals that are pretty evenly spaced to like five. That's like, it's not, we're somewhat splitting hairs at that point. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Like if we look at like from a car perspective, right. If, especially like in a, really in any phase, but like, you know, in like a gaining phase, you want to make it the most lean as possible. What I would say is like, we do really want to stack up those carbs in that peri-workout window, as you mentioned, because insulin sensitivity is going to be the highest, right? So then if we're looking at like, where are these nutrients going to be shuttled? Well, basically at that point, especially like when we're working out post-workout, that's when it is a lot more likely that our muscles are basically going to turn into a sink for glucose, right? Where the glucose that we take in is really going to be shuttled to those muscle cells and it's less likely to be shuttled towards fat cells, right? So like it will improve the nutrient partitioning. So if you're trying to make like as many lean gains as possible, it does make sense like within that to kind of bias. Again, this is somewhat splitting hairs because like if we look at, will this actually help me build more muscle? From that perspective, like we know that carbs post-workout are going to help decrease cortisol levels, which will create a little bit more of an anabolic environment, which will be somewhat conducive. If we look at it from like replenishing your muscle glycogen stores, like that in and of itself, like as long as we eat plenty of carbs within the next 24 hours, they will be replenished. So like if you're not, as long as you're not training twice per day, like from that perspective, eating carbs immediately isn't quite as important, but also like we know, I believe it's like six hours after a training session, your body, um, glycogen replenishment is more prioritized. So again, like it just makes it more likely that more of those carbs we take in our shuttle towards muscle. So I mean, like from a lean gains perspective, like if you wanted to optimize all of that, I would say again, like we bias like 
50 to 70 percent of carbohydrates coming in the day around that peri workout window. But again, we also have to look at like the enjoyment yeah. and sustainability, which that that varies quite a bit. Yeah, and she's also one that tests her fasted blood glucose, so we know that that's in a really good place. If for some reason that started to go up, we could try uh, moving that intro workout, and if that was still an issue with blood glucose, then that would be like where we could play with the um, metabolic work or decrease carbs. That's a very good point. Any other thoughts on that? No, I think we I think we covered it. <laughs> I think it'd be a long breath as well. Uh, next question I have for you: most important hitting macros or calories? In what context? In the context of that fat loss? <laughs> okay, in fat loss, it's definitely calories. Um, but protein is a very close second because if you are in a calorie deficit, but you're not taking in enough protein, you're like you talked about the nitrogen balance, that's going to be negative. And so you're at much higher risk for muscle loss, um, which you don't want with a calorie deficit because then at the end of your diet, you're going to be left with a slower metabolism. And then the um, issue there is whenever you go back to maintenance or um, main gaining, <laughs> then you're going to be uh, more likely to put on body fat than muscle. So that's not ideal. And then, um, Within the context of building, that, I mean, you need the calories to be at least at maintenance, but that one I would almost skew more toward macros because, I mean, even if you are in a slight deficit, I would rather have somebody's macros dialed in than have them in a surplus, but with the macros all out of whack. Yeah. I mean, have you ever seen, like, we have that hierarchy for yeah. building and it's actually, like building muscle and it's different where the most important piece for us building muscle it doesn't like if we're in a calorie surplus but we don't have adequate nitrogen which um protein is going to be the only macro that has nitrogen which is going to be i don't actually remember the mechanism here i need to go back and brush up on a piece of it but basically within that like we don't have the amino acids one of those being nitrogen um we won't be able to build the muscle tissue that we are regardless right so like I and also we you know like body recomposition, like being able to lose a bit of fat, and build muscle, it is possible, right? Like losing fat, or they're different cells, right? Like mm -hmm. Muscle cells different than the fat cell, right? And they're somewhat separate processes here. Um, so with that, I would say here like not necessarily all the macros, but like when it comes to building muscle, yeah, protein is going to be a priority even over overall calorie intake. Um, and they cover that in macronutrition as well, which that, that to me was like kind of a light bulb because I always just like thought of like the traditional, like we have the muscle and strength pyramids, right? Yeah. Calories, we have macros, we have micros, you know, um, but again, like in that case, like if you're eating a ton of calories, but you're eating 30 grams of protein a day, you're probably going to significantly struggle with the muscle tissue as well. Any other thoughts on that? I mean, I, I feel like if we kept going it would be a really big tangent because <laughs> like we could talk on that a lot but <laughs> yeah without without more context it's it's hard to narrow it down to like not talking all day around all topics that could be related <laughs> cool. 
I feel like these I feel like these episodes specifically are always just like tangents. But um, okay. Last question I have is advice on how to best meet macro targets, particularly carbohydrates. So when it comes to carbs, um, typically in a fat loss phase, basically there's two ways we can approach this, right? And I mean, if we're looking at all the macros, so basically like let's start fat loss first. So when it comes to like hitting, typically I'd say like in a fat loss phase, just hitting carbs is a lot less of a problem, right? Basically, in a fat loss phase, almost always hitting protein is one of the biggest problems. And almost always what that stems from is people just selecting too fatty of protein sources, right? So I think the thing, the best thing to understand there is, one, a lot of things that are marketed as good protein sources yeah. are actually shitty protein sources. Interestingly, I think like most things that say like high in protein are actually like the ones that are the worst protein sources. Like protein bars are a great example of this, where like most protein bars are like, 20 to 30% protein. It's like, okay, if the overall calories in this, like only 20 to 30% of the overall calories in this are coming from protein, is it actually a good protein source? I think like we're actually looking for like good protein sources, something that's at least 50 to 60% of the calories are coming from protein. And that's super easy. You can just flip it around, look at the back of the package, what's the percentage of protein, right? Um, that's a good rule of thumb. So I think within that, it's typically looking at, like, understanding the most protein sources we want a spectrum, right? Where we, like, have different variations of the same food. So, for example, whole milk versus skim milk. Where the protein content is very, very similar, like, from a cup of whole milk to a cup of skim milk. But the calories in that content are typically much different, right? Or, like, whole fat dairy versus fat-free dairy. Chicken thighs versus chicken breast. A ribeye versus a sirloin, right? where the latter options of all of those are going to be the ones that are typically within their protein. Um, I'll say within that, like, when we're focusing on trying to get our carbs in the fat loss phase, this is typically where we're going to get most of our volume from, right? Uh, kind of a long, protein is going to go alongside that. But, like, when we're looking at carbs in the fat loss phase, very much, like, I typically am going to push clients to buy us, like, more filling, higher volume foods. So, like, Potatoes are a great example of this, where like a sweet potato, white potato, whatever variation of potato you like, that in like in its pure form is going to be like the single most filling food you can eat, unless we turn it into like uh, French fries or like potato chips. Um, so potatoes are one that typically I like to put a big priority on, and then again, just to, like trying to get most of your carbs from whole food sources. So things like leaning towards like berries. And fruit, of course, is going to be a great option. Um, oats are a pretty solid option. And if, I, if I'm if i correct, like an old-fashioned oat is going to like digest slower than a uh, mm -hmm. instant oat, right? Yeah, it's just less processed. Okay. Right, so leaning towards like less processed variations of carbohydrates. That said, like, do you feel like you ever run into trouble with plants? No. Carbos in the fat loss phase? <laughs> okay. I don't either. So that's like, then when we're looking at that in that building phase, I think that's where it typically becomes more of a struggle. So one, I think that like from a, go ahead. Oh yeah. I was just thinking like hitting carbs without going over fats is probably the deal in a fat or in a build phase. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's what I see most often. I, I agree. And that's what it's looking to be like, okay, what sources can I get that are mostly just carbs, right? So fruit's a great option here. Dried fruit is a very good option here, right? Because again, like typically the problem in a building phase is we're just like getting so full. So if we're going, if we're leaning towards like those more voluminous 
voluminous carb options that I mentioned like that are good for fat loss. Here, like you might want to stray away from that a little bit more. Right? So things like dried fruit again is great. Like four prunes. I'm a big prune guy. Four prunes is like 25 grams of carbs. You can easily eat three servings of that. It doesn't feel like very much at all. Um, and get 75 grams of carbs. Same thing goes for apricots. Or that's when we can like start leaning more towards the more processed variations of like these whole foods, right? So again, like instant oatmeal versus the old fashioned oats or like cream of rice or even like white rice is a pretty solid option here. I would say like for me personally, like I know that white, white rice digests pretty quickly, but still like I, even that is like sometimes in the building phase, like eating like two, three cups of it, it can still get to be pretty dull. Um, but I still like, that's definitely a staple for me. Um, typically like past that point, then I'm going to look to what are you doing intra-workout, right? Because typically like intra-workout carbs, again, like from a, and it, this perspective where we have increased insulin sensitivity during this time, us biasing like some carbs intra-workout is going to help again shuttle more of those to the muscle cell. But also for most people, like Gatorade is a good option here, highly branched cyclic dextrin is a good option. Where like normally you're sipping water throughout, but if you can add like 50 grams of carbohydrate from like again a Gatorade or either basically dextrin, you won't be drinking more, you won't be taking in more volume. That's an easy way for us to add more carbs without it necessarily like feeling more filling. Any other thoughts on that? Those were yeah, those are all great options. So I would say also you you mentioned rice, but like leaning heavy into any rice products is um, usually a go-to. So like in the morning, instead of oatmeal, maybe switch over to cream of rice. It's just a little bit easier on digestion. Um, and then adding in uh, some smoothies can be uh, a good source if you have trouble digesting a lot of carbs. Just like by the nature of it being liquid, it's a little bit easier to get down. And it also... Um, like the vo- the volume of it is just like because you're blending everything up, it's um, smaller and easier to easier to handle. So you can throw in a bunch of fruit. Um, bananas are going to be a higher source, like higher density source of carbs that you can throw in there. Um, so I don't ever have the issue of my calories getting too high to where uh, I can't eat my carbs, but I do have experience like helping my husband eat more. And then my kids too, like they're hard to fill up. And so <laughs> we we will use like rice cereal, um, not rice cereal like for babies, but like puffed rice, like Rice Krispie cereal. That's great. And it it's like eating air. Like it's not going to be super filling if you have a hard time eating a lot. Um, so that's another one of the rice products. That's, that's a good go-to. But uh, other than that, I think that you really covered it all. Oh, actually one more thing is, um, the, the vertical diet is actually really good for this because it focuses heavily on like getting in the few things that you need for micronutrients, but then also um, having a lot of rice cooked in bone broth, which makes it a little bit easier to digest. And then you're also adding that with the ground meat because ground meat is a little bit easier to chew and get down than like a steak. Um, so that's another that's another one to look into. Yeah, very similar to the point you made with these smoothies. Basically, like, if you can further, like, quote, unquote process your foods, like you discussed there, like, ground beef versus, like, whole steak, right? That's going to go down easier. That's going to be less, that's going to digest quicker, so you won't be full as long. Um, honey is another oh, yeah. one where 
it's very similar to like the the dried fruit like adding like honey to like in my building there's like honey added on top of rice cakes with something that is super consistent where you can just like if, if you have this many carbs to work with and now again like on the flip side what i would say is like if you're in a fat loss phase and like carbs are pretty limited i would be spending spending a ton of calories and like honey because it's just not going to be very good but like that was that was one of the staples in my pre-workout meal. It was like rice cakes with a bit of peanut butter and some honey, and then I would even like slice up bananas and put those on top of it. Um, yeah. One more thing that I would add is to I, I'm just assuming that this is someone that's struggling with appetite if they're asking how to get in more carbs. So I would look at how many meals you're getting in, and if you're only able to eat like three meals, split that into four or five because that's going to make digesting that much food way easier. And I think even like a lot of times when appetite is a struggle, a lot of times what's happening is people aren't eating very much in the mornings and are like trying to bias all their food towards later. Yeah. And then increasing like the volume of those first couple, or not the volume, but the calorie density of those first couple meals is also super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Same with protein and in a diet, like if you get behind in the morning, it's going to be really hard to catch up. So it's the same, same principle in a building phase with carbs or calories in general. Like you need to get on it right as soon as you get up or else you're going to get behind for the day. Yeah. I think a lot of people, like I know for me sometimes, like if I just like get up and the first thing I do is just chug caffeine, I'll like start to feel super nauseous. And I think like some, like when people like complain of like not being hungry in the morning, so that's what things later in the day. That can like sometimes be where it comes from. Um, so what I would say is like maybe like if like you're doing that as well, like if you just like chug some water first, that in and of itself can, or like even eat a bit first, that in and of itself can like kind of offset that. I had like, I, I work out early. Um, and so I like drank, <laughs> the other day I was like just trying to drink uh, I had my caffeine mixed with, so I like drank a protein shake and then I had my, or no, I was going to drink a protein shake, but I had like my caffeine mixed with, uh, pomegranate juice is what I had. And that was like my carbs worth. So I was like going to go work out right after that. And I was like chugging that. And I was just like, oh man, my stomach just feels heavy, but it's like, right, I got to get this down. And then I just, I was brushing my teeth and I just like had to go puke. And Katie was, oh like, my gosh. Next, and she was like, what is going on with you? So, um, Definitely, again, like, even if you chug some water first, <laughs> learn from my mistakes, but, like, having a little something in your stomach there, like, if that's, in, if, like, hunger in the mornings is an issue, that can also be helpful. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, anyways, um, that is all we have for y'all as of now. Um, thank you guys for tuning in, and we will catch you all next time.